Good morning, everyone. My name is Dennis Meaner. I'm one of your elders here. And just to give you an uh, update on things going on, in two weeks, Tom Hovestall, who's going to be our interim pastor for a while and help us do a search and find a more permanent pastor, will be here. He'll be speaking at the men's, brec men's breakfast on Saturday the 6th, first time you men can get to meet him if you want. And he'll be <clears throat> speaking first time Sunday morning on the 7th of May. Next week, Kent Dempsey will be back. He was here a uh, month or two ago speaking to us, and he'll be able to give you a message. And, uh, <clears throat> but you're stuck with me today. <laughs> the, uh, anyway, the offering is going to be taken here in just a minute, and we're going to pray for that. And if you're not a regular member of this family, you know, don't feel obligated when the plate comes by. Just let it pass. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you are in the heavens and we are here on the earth. You said heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. And your hand, Lord, your word made all these things. You promised that to this one you will look, to the one who's humble and contrite of spirit who trembles at your word. As surely as you walked among the lampstands that John saw in his vision, you are here with us today. You are walking among us, and we've assembled in your name. Lord, you've made us part of a great assembly that you call your body here on earth. And when one part hurts, the whole body hurts. So we pray for those who are part of this assembly, that you would give them strength and hope, that you would bring healing into their lives, that you would remind them that you know them and you are with them. We pray for our sister churches here in Sheridan, Lord, who have or will be losing their pastor, just as we did months ago. The Wesleyan Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Rock, we pray that you would provide for them a caring and faithful shepherd after your heart who would love your people, love your word, and guide those flocks. Lord, when your body is far away, even those that we hear about in the distance in the news, we pray for them, those persecuted and suffering. We remember those in the Middle East countries, Lord, who've lost, lost their families, their jobs, their freedom for your name. Keep their faith strong, Lord. Encourage them. Give them boldness to share the great forgiveness and the love of God in Jesus. May the house churches in those nations grow and become a place of hope and healing to those bound under Satan's lies. And we pray that you would save their persecutors through the testimony of your saints. Lord, now we give back to you from the abundance you've given us. <clears throat> we pray you bless and multiply the effect of these gifts given and you guide us in the best way to use them for your kingdom. We know you're here with us, Lord. You know each silent plea of every heart. Visit each one. And as I speak your word, Lord, open the hearts of these people. Let them see and hear you and not me. Let my mind and tongue be just as instruments for your service. Bless your word today by the power of your spirit in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Ushers, you can come out forward and receive the offering.
First off, I want to thank all those who told me you were praying for me. I really appreciate that. <clears throat> Preaching, public speaking in general is not on my bucket list. And I won't quit my J job for it. I don't think they could find anybody else this week, so they stuck one of the new guys with it. And it's too late to back out now. So, as the, st as the story goes, my job is to talk, your job is to listen. If you get done before I do, wait for me and I'll catch up. <laughs> Actually, I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to, although entertainment is a good tool to use, I'm here to you to speak on a subject that is very important, the Word of God. And I want to treat it seriously because this is the main subject of the Bible. <clears throat> it is that there is one mediator between man and God, Christ Jesus, as the scripture says up there. There are a number of ways that the work of Jesus Christ is portrayed in the scripture. He's called a kinsman redeemer, the lamb of God, the high priest, a good shepherd, a vine. There's no one illustration that can capture all the facets of who he is and what he has done for us. None of them can capture the greatness of the infinite who put on flesh and lived like us. On Palm Sunday, we heard of the fulfillment of many prophecies about his coming to bring us the life of God and the responses to that. On Easter last work week, we were told of the whole story of his earthly life, his death and resurrection, and an invitation to follow him. Now that he has ascended to God's throne, have you ever wondered what else he did and what he does for you now? And that's one thing we're going to look at today, his facet as our mediator. You're in this service either because you do believe in a certain hope of the God of the Bible and what he says, or maybe you're uncertain about it or unsettled in your hope and hoping to find some peace. Maybe you just came with a friend or family, parent or child, and had nothing else to do this Sunday morning. In that case, I'm glad you're here, and I hope you find what your soul needs. Job was a man who lived many, year, many centuries ago, probably a contemporary of Abraham. He had a great life. He was very wealthy. He had a large, wonderful family. He had a great relationship with God. He was strong and healthy. But God permitted for a time that he went through an intense testing. <clears throat> and Satan was given opportunity to destroy his life so that what is in his heart could be proved. He lost his family, his possessions, his health. At least some friends came to him, and he thought he would get sympathy from them. But they unjustly accused him of being under the wrath of God for his sins. Some solace they were. In Job chapter 9, he laments. Though I say oh, I will forget my complaint and put off my sad continence and be cheerful, I am afraid of all my pains. I know, he says to God, that you will not acquit me. I am accounted wicked. Why then should I labor in vain? If I should wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you would plunge me into the pit and my own clothes would abhor me. For he is not a man that I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. There is no mediator between us who may lay his hand on both of us. Job recognizes his mortality, his guilt, God's justice, and there's no one between him and God to stand in his place, to bring them together. But there is one. We heard about him last week. There is a mediator, Jesus Christ. Our text is found in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 6. It says, First of all, I urge that petitions, prayers, requests, and thanksgiving be made to all men, 
on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and us, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. What is the purpose of a mediator? His job is to bring reconciliation between parties who are at odds. There's a dispute that is between them. Families sometimes use these. Sometimes clients and companies need a mediator to work between them. Employers and employees can be in a dispute that needs mediation. Without a controversy, there's no need of a mediator. Job knew there was a controversy with God, and he was at odds, and he needed a mediator. Having a mediator implies a couple of things. <clears throat> there are two or more parties. There is a dispute that cannot be resolved, and they cannot come together to agreement. One party desires to have a reconciliation. The other party is unable to make things right or acceptable to the offended party. No reconciliation is possible if the offending party is unwilling to make amends. Then no mediator can help. Both parties must adhere to the conditions established by the mediation. What are the qualifications of a mediator? Who can be one? Only someone who knows and understands both sides and all the issues. Someone who's able and willing to perform the work that is needed to satisfy the conditions and bring about a positive conclusion. He must be acceptable to and trusted by both sides. He must work to provide a basis of acceptance to the offended party and, if necessary, be willing to fulfill the conditions established for that. We're going to explore this a little in depth as we go on. This may all seem theoretical, but it is not. We'll apply it to our case. There are two parties at odds. God, the offended party, and every one of us in the human race you and I, we are the offending parties. I should turn it on. Okay, the controversy exists. What is the controversy? On God's side, God has a controversy with us because he's deeply offended by our sin and against himself and all that is good, all that he created for our benefit. Romans 1 tells us that for the, since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. They are without excuse, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man or of birds or four-footed animals or crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the desires of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored within them. Knowing God, Paul says, they did not glorify God as who he is, neither were thankful. All our ways are set at disregarding, ignoring, outright rebellion, and siding with the evil one. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 compiled a number of Old Testament passages together to show God's description of us without him. It is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of their way. They have all be together become unprofitable. 
There is none that does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The fruit of this kind of life, the fruit of our lives without him, is described in Galatians 5. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are adultery, fornication, immorality, lustfulness, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Things which I am telling you in advance, Paul says, just as I said before, that those who practice these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you practice these things? Heed Paul's warning. We all know how easy it is to sin. Even sitting here in church today, our thoughts may wander and become sinful. Sin, S-I-N, is just living out our self-indulgent nature. Those who practice such things will not enter the kingdom of God. We may not do all the things that are offensive to God, but all of us do or have done some of them. James tells us that whoever shall keep the whole law and yet fail in one point is guilty of breaking the law. If you have a chain and you're hanging on it, you don't have to break all the links in the chain. All you need is one of them that's broken, and the chain is broken and you fall. What's the current controversy on man's part? What is our problem with God? Our problem, our parents, our ancestors, our children, and our posterity don't want God to rule. We all say, I want to do it my way. I don't need God. I will make my own decisions and please myself. Does any of us claim to be living our lives fully obedient and pleasing to God? To love our neighbor as ourselves and to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Paul tells us in Romans that all of us have sinned and come short of the perfection that is God. And the wages of that sin is death, separation from God. We are sinners. We are not at peace with God. We are at war with God. Doesn't our conscience tell us and accuse us of the things that we shouldn't do or pester us for things that we have done? That's what guilt is in our conscience. On our side, we're hostile to God's authority for God being in charge. From the beginning, we wanted independence and self-determination. Genesis 3 describes how Satan deceived our first parents, saying to them, God is holding you back. He's lying. Ignore his words. Eat what he forbade you, and you'll be just like God, making your own way. We continue to believe that lie and want to be our own ruler, determine our own way without any restraints, even if it hurts us and brings us to ruin. So there is a real controversy. You and I know how that has played out in our lives. Life is hard, it's difficult, disappointing, unfair, filled with evil because of people, and they have a problem because of us. Deep inside, we feel guilt, emptiness, grief, our failings, our distance from those we love. Life shouldn't be this way. It should have been better. God desires a reconciliation. Without God initiating a solution, there cannot be peace with one another or with God himself. God created us and intended us to have communion with him to walk with him. We saw that in the Garden of Eden. 
He still does. God doesn't want anyone to fail to receive what he has prepared for them. Peter tells us the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And you all know John 3.16, that great verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. From our text, 1 Peter 2.4, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God really does want reconciliation, and he initiates the action to bring that about. He doesn't want to bring us to judgment for our deeds. So he sent the mediator. God initiated this out of his love for you and me to resolve this conflict. He just can't say, I forgive you and let it go. He is holy. There are obstacles in the way. Two of those obstacles are our guilt and our unwillingness to change and return and serve God. So those obstacles must be removed by the mediator. I don't think this is all just academic, although it may sound so. The real condition applies to us in our lives. We need a mediator who understands God. He must understand the whole controversy from God's point of view. He must have the knowledge of eternity. He must have God's perspective. He must have God's feeling as the offended one. He must know the righteousness and justice of God and uphold God's side. He must defend and promote the reputation of God and all his attributes before both men and angels and every other created being, lest they too think God is not holy or is soft on sin. The mediator must also know God's deepest heart longings towards those he created, the mercy and kindness of God, the love of God for those he created, how far he would be willing to go to bring about a reconciliation. He must fully come as the exact representation of God's nature. Scripture says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself and not counting their sins against them. But us too, we need a mediator who understands our side, one who represents us, who understands our weaknesses, the conditions we are in, and can sympathize with us. He must know the difficulties of obeying and the temptations that we face every day. Don't you wish God understood your situation and your feelings and what you went through? Jesus does. The Bible says that he was touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He was tempted in all ways like us, yet without sin. To be, without, to be one of us, he must be tempted to be self-sufficient like we are. He must want to satisfy his own desires and wants. And above all else, he must be tempted to doubt God's word. Satan did this. We see this recorded in Matthew 4. He must be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He must know weariness, that it's too tired to go on at times. He must know rejection and feel abandonment. He must, like us, know loneliness. He must be able to weep at loss and death. In the Gospels, you see the picture of this, that Jesus intimately knew all this. He lived in our skin. He got it from our side. He must know our deepest needs and want to help us. Christ, through his spirit, through Isaiah the prophet, many, many centuries before he came, said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to those who are in prison, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. This mediator must know the final wonderful heavenly destiny God plans to provide for all those who are reconciled to him. He must also understand the final ultimate destiny of those who refuse to be reconciled and without a mediator will stand alone before God to account for their own lives. We need a mediator who does represent us. Christ would need to fulfill all the conditions to bring about a reconciliation because we can't do it. Since we believed that God was unkind and unloving, God must ensure that God is now hallowed and honored for who he really is. He must be able to do what we are unable to do for ourselves and make us acceptable to God. The psalm writer commented on this in Psalm 49. No one by any means can redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of his soul is costly. It is too high a price for us to pay. Our text said, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Since not one of us can pay the debt we owe, the ransom price for our souls, he would have to fulfill that condition. He must do two things to bring this about. Take upon himself the penalty due for our disobedience and provide for us a righteousness that is acceptable to God. Scripture says he is the propitiation, not for only our sins, but for those of the whole world. Propitiation is just a big word that means that he's the one who's going to pay the necessary price to remove the sin from the people. He's the one who stands in God's heavenly court as an on-site advocate and represents guilty men and women who are unable to defend themselves. We need a mediator who removes guilt. Jesus first had to deal with our guilt. He could not die as a martyr. He could not die for any sin of his own. He must die being absolutely innocent as a representative of perfect humanity. And that he was, the innocent Lamb of God. Isaiah the prophet also says later in chapter 53, speaking of this mediator, said that he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell on him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have wandered aside. Each of us has turned to his own way, but God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. According to Hebrews 2.9, by God's grace, Jesus would taste death for every one of us. Jesus said in the garden that night he went to the cross that we looked at last week, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me, but not as my I will, but your will be done. Jesus went to that cross because there was no other way. There was no other way to get this done. He completed the task that we couldn't. On the cross, he cried out, it is finished, or literally, it is paid in full, the ransom price. The debt we owed was paid by his life, by his blood. And although justice would be upheld and God's character would really be honored by executing judgment on everyone for their hostility and rebellion, that would not show the true nature and full character of who God is. Moses, after seeing the great judgments of God upon Egypt and being alone with him, asked God to show him his glory. God agreed. In Exodus 34, we see this recounted. 
God said, I will make my goodness pass before you. And the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. How could those qualities of God, his compassion, mercy, loving kindness, be known to creation if God only executed judgment? The mediator came to prove and reveal the full character of God. God so loved the world, so loved you and I, that he sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. And now having accomplished that task, he returned to God. He was resurrected and ascended to heaven with proof of his death as our representative, his own blood. Hebrews in chapter 9 tells us that in a couple of places. He says, For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who have been called may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. This new covenant of the mediator brings this clause with it. God says, And their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. In the mediator, God will not remember your sins. This removes the first article, our guilt. Once the penalty is paid, there's nothing left to pay. There's no judgment that can come out. But not only that, he gave us his own righteousness. Remember Paul's words in the New Testament churches. He said, God made him who knew no sin to be a sin offering on our behalf so that we might become righteousness of God in him. The one who believes in God who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our mediator restores that relationship that was broken. As to the second obstacle of our reconciliation, the mediator must have the acceptance of both parties, the trust of both sides, to restore us back to that relationship. He was accepted by God. He took the job willingly. He never wavered on upholding the justice needed that God required as a holy being. Jesus has this confidence, and the God the Father twice testified from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus' life will be the standard of acceptance for God to enter heaven. Paul told this to the Athenians when he said, God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has made and appointed having furnished proof to all by raising him from the dead. There's only one man in history who could be raised from the dead who was just, who was holy and innocent. That's Jesus, our mediator. But on the other side, he must also have the acceptance from us, from our side. The scripture everywhere insists that faith alone in Jesus Christ is the only acceptable criteria to become right with God. Hebrews 11 tells us that all who come to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. God graciously rewards those who put their faith in him. We don't do the work of salvation. We don't contribute to the work. We are unable totally. That's why the mediator came. He doesn't want your best efforts. He doesn't want your resolution to serve him better. He doesn't want your I'll try harder vows. He wants you to give him yourself. 
He wants your failings. He wants you to give him your fear, your anger, your broken life. He wants you to say, I can't do this anymore, God. Please run my life. He did not give his hands and his feet to be nailed to a cross so that we could try harder. He wants your full yielding and commitment to follow him no matter what. Isn't that what real faith is? To commit to follow someone even though you don't know the way they're leading, but you trust their character? What is this kind of faith? It's not the faith that watches a tightrope or walk across a chasm and believe he can do it. It's the faith that gets on his back and lets him carry you across that chasm. That is faith. Will you trust Jesus Christ with your life? He will give you a new start, a new birth. He can and will carry you. To benefit from this gift of grace, you and I must put our trust fully in who Jesus is and what he has done as our mediator. Jesus called all people to change their mind and to change the direction they are moving, to repent, as it's said, turn from self-dependence to dependence on God. The psalmist in Psalm 119 wrote, I considered my ways and I turned my feet to follow your testimonies. I changed direction. God cannot change, neither his character nor nature nor requirements. He is perfect. He is holy. He cannot change. But that perfect love loved you and me. Jesus came to restore us to that trust in God and to live by faith in obedience to him, just as we were made. This reconciliation will produce a change in us. A grapevine does produce grapes. An orange tree produces oranges. So a reconciled sinner produces the fruit that shows them. Here's what the New Testament says of those who believed God's great love for them and gave their life to Christ. For the love of God controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that those might, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Having these great promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God. To the church at Corinth, Paul reminds them of their changed lives. He says to them, Do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We looked at some, a similar passage earlier. Do not be deceived. We are easily deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the spirit of our God. God changes lives. Those believers were born again and thoroughly changed when they really trusted the message about Christ. He says, such were some of you, but you were changed. You can be changed too, and the power of God will produce within you the godly fruit of his spirit. Oh, you and I may still struggle with some of these sins. We may still fall into temptation at times, but it's not who we are anymore. The enemy may tempt you in these weak areas of your life that you once lived in your flesh, but as a believer, you're called to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the sin he tempts you to fall into. You were washed. You were justified. You were forgiven. You have a new nature. So a decision is needed. 
So those of you who already believe in Christ as your mediator with God and have returned to follow him, this message is for you to not to forget that you are secure eternally because you believed and embraced the message of Christ, your mediator, as your personal advocate with God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing shall ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. As one of his own, Christ has clothed you, clothed you with his own righteousness and intercedes for you. But be careful, don't be complacent and slip back into the worldly lifestyle you once lived in. You will fall out of fellowship with Jesus. John 1.9 says, If you do sin, acknowledge it to him, and as your advocate, he will assure God's forgiveness of you, and that sin will forever be removed from heaven's sight as far as the east is from the west. To those of you who have not committed your life to Christ yet, to this mediator, Jesus invites all who heard him to say and said, Come to me, all of you who are labor or weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me say there's no obstacle on God's part to fully pardon your guilt and grant you everything you need in this life to be at peace with God and to see godly fruit produced in you. When your days are done, he will receive you because you will be in Christ and welcome you into his presence forever. Will you admit to the emptiness of your soul, the brokenness of your heart, the powerlessness you have as being a prisoner of sin in its many forms? He has the desire and the power to free you. And he will work to heal your soul. And he shall, he shall carry you all the rest of your days. However, Jesus will not be a mediator to those who don't want him. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God, God does not have life. Young or old, longtime church attender, new visitor, you've all struggled with sin's grip on your life and its results. Is it not time to give full control to the one stronger and wiser than you? What work do we do? Nothing. The same question was asked of Jesus at one point. He said, the work of God is to believe in him whom God sent. Place your full faith and trust in him to stand before God for you. Without this faith in this mediator, there's no possibility of your pardon for your sin. God has done all he can on his end to bring you back to him. There is no other name given in heaven among men by which we must be saved. No other name will God forgive you. Is he calling you? Is he inviting you? Is he summoning you to respond? I'll close by asking you three questions that you need to answer. <clears throat> Realize that a not now or later, maybe later answer is a no to the mediator. Will you receive Jesus as your mediator with God and be given the right to be a child of God? He said, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Will you retain him as your legal representative, your advocate with God the Father, to plead your pardon, using his own blood as the price to satisfy God's requirements? If anyone sins, the scripture says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Third question, will you appear before God as your own defense attorney, dressed in your own rags of self-effort, or be clothed in the righteousness of Christ himself? Without Christ Jesus standing before God for you, 
There is no way to you, for you to be forgiven, no way for you to be washed clean in your soul. If you take him as your own, he'll write your name in his book of life. Job, whom we spoke of at the beginning, did find and trust in God's mediator and believed he'd be resurrected with him. <clears throat> he says this in chapter 19 of Job, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my sin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold. No one of us knows what life lies ahead of us, what events are in our future. So doesn't it make the utmost sense to ensure that you have a strong helper, an innocent mediator on your side, waiting to call you his own, who promises to say to the Father in heaven before you, Father, these trusted in me to stand before you and represent them with my own blood as payment for their sins. Forgive their sin and put my righteousness to their account. What a joy to hear that spoken. You have no other day than this one to live. No guarantee of it. You can't correct or change yesterday. You can't undo or redo any days before that. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. If your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life, you will stand before the heavenly court all alone. John, in his last revelation given to him by Christ, says this at the end of the book. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that are written in the books according to their deeds. Today is the day to pray if you don't know him already. And say something like this. Lord, I will receive Jesus as my representative and mediator. I give all of myself to Jesus. I realize I can do nothing worthy to be accepted by you. But Christ has done everything in my place to purchase my pardon with you. He alone can release me from the debt I owe you. Forever, I believe he died for me and he, as he promised and he will take me as his child. The decision is yours to make. No one else can make it for you. No one made it for you before. No one will make it for you now. It's between you and Jesus and God. Paul said in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart Christ rose from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus himself said Everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who's in heaven. Won't you this day settle this issue with the Savior given to us, our own mediator? There is a future for you if that is the case and if you have already done it. Be reconciled to God. Confess him today as your mediator. Do not deny him in the presence of these other witnesses. At the moment your heart believes, you pass immediately out of a state of death and guilt and separation and are given new life, eternal life. You are released from all condemnation, all judgment, and pardon of all guilt. The resurrected life of the Son of God will be put into your soul. God's Spirit will come and live in you forever, and God will be your Father. You will be his child You'll never be alone again. He will always be with you and live in you. We're going to pray now, and as I do, if you have not done it before, I urge you to bend the knee of your heart before Christ and commit yourself into his nail-pierced hands. Commit your soul into his care. If you do, then please make the effort to tell someone and openly confess that Jesus is your Lord. If you want, you can come up front. There'll be some people up here you can do that too. 
You can also come up and get prayer or counsel. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you so loved the world that you sent your son to be our mediator, to stand before you in our place with his righteousness. Lord, I pray for any here who are struggling with this issue that you would bring them to know your son, that you would put the truth in their hearts, convict them, convince them, and lead them to find that life in Jesus. For the others, Lord, I thank you for their faithfulness to you, their service to you, their love of you, and that you have redeemed them. And Lord, we look forward to your return. Bless now, my brothers and sisters, in Jesus' name. Amen.